Hello and welcome to the Learn Chinese Insights podcast brought to you by ChineseLearnOnline.com, your progressive online Mandarin course. Um, in our last episode, uh, we interviewed Wesley Holzer, uh, had a great interview where he shared some insights. Now I actually have him again for this episode where he's going to share some of the things he found fascinating about the Chinese language that hopefully the rest of us can benefit from. Things I find fascinating. Um, one of the very difficult aspects of the Chinese language and one of the very interesting aspects of the Chinese language is how longer phrases can be abbreviated. Hmm. Um, and so you can look at something as simple as the word Zhongguo for China. Hmm. That's really an abbreviation of Zhonghua Renmin Gongheguo, the hmm. People's Republic of China. And we just condense that down to two characters and it makes sense. Mm -hmm. But then things get complicated when you say something like China-US relations. Mm -hmm. You need to know that that Zhong, which literally means center, mm -hmm. in this case actually refers to China. And Mei, which literally means beautiful, actually refers to the United States. Mm -hmm. So if you just look at, if you threw these four characters into, into a, if you look them up in a dictionary, let's say that, Mm. And you look Zhong first, and then Mei first, and then Guanxi. You'll have no idea what middle beautiful relationship means. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is this. It's very contextual. This is something where you really need to know what each word represents mm. in order to um, get an idea of what exactly you're 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 uh, hearing or looking at. But that's similar to English when you see just letters that make an abbreviation. You would have to know what it is, right? That is true. If you've never heard of the FBI before and you see something that says um, the FBI, blah, 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 hmm. you might read that and say, what's a FB? Right. I don't know FB. Um, but we do benefit in English from having capital letters hmm. and periods, which usually indicate these things. So if it says U dot N dot and hmm. the U and N are capitalized, you know it's an abbreviation even if you don't know what abbreviation. Ah, okay. In Chinese, if you see... Zhong Mei, you you might you might have no idea what that means. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, so that's something that I always found interesting, and um, in that respect, there's a lot of aspects of Chinese that makes it a very contextual language. So let me transition to sort of a, a different topic here. Okay. A lot of people say that Chinese could be the next global language. I am not so confident in that because. Okay. I think that Chinese is still a language that is very culturally contextual, and it's very, very difficult to speak Chinese without understanding somewhat, even a little bit, of Chinese culture. Hmm. Uh, I mean, there are phrases that just don't make sense if you don't know the cultural background to it. For example, let's take a look at the movie Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which is one of the first Chinese movies that really, really had a big impact on me. Um, the, the the title literally is Wu Hu Changlong, which is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Mm -hmm. In English, that means nothing. You're just throwing words at me. It's complete nonsense. But in Chinese, that that phrase is actually very meaningful. It means somebody with hidden talents, like a woman in the accounting firm in my last company was an excellent cook, mm. and every time she brought in food, everyone went crazy for it. Mm. Um, so I told her, Wow, you're really a Wu Hu Changlong. You're, you have this hidden talent that, that um, nobody knows about. Mm. Um, but again, if somebody translated that literally, 
It's like, wow, you're really a crouching tiger and hidden dragon. <laughs> what does that mean? This isn't a zoo. Right. So uh, I think that that's, that's one of the big, big challenges of learning Chinese. It, you can't just go into it and say, I'm going to just learn a language. You need mm. to learn a culture. Right, and in the case of Cheng Yu, each one has a different story, right? Yeah, and, and I mean, there's also, but it's more than that, too. Because, yes, there's the Chengyu, and if you've heard this Chengyu, you know it. But even if you haven't heard the Chengyu, in this case, you can probably guess it, because you know that um, dragons in Chinese culture are incredibly powerful, sort of auspicious, wonderful things. Hmm. Um, and tigers, tigers kind of go both ways. They can be good or bad, but you know that they're very fierce, right? And so hmm. if, you have, if you have these hidden tigers and dragons, then you know that there's something very powerful lurking hmm. around. And so you can kind of extrapolate, okay, that's probably what this means. Hmm. Now, do do they come up with new Chengyus from time to time, like based on, on modern culture and things that are happening, or are they all, like, predefined? You know, that's a, that's a good question, actually, that you might have to direct to something more like a Chinese professor. <laughs> um, okay. I don't know if they make new ones, but um, certainly you can string together any four characters that make sense. Would it I make sense of... to you? Would it make sense to somebody? <laughs> so I think one of the aspects of Chengyu is that it's kind of a cultural consensus. You have these phrases that everyone agrees is going to mean this thing, and that's why it means that thing. Um, in the future, I could maybe change "wohu changlong" to refer to something like hidden threats, hmm. and. I'm talking about far in the future when nobody uses this phrase anymore. Like 300 years from now, maybe nobody uses the phrase anymore. And I use it and it takes on a new meaning. That happens. In fact, if you if you open a Chengyu dictionary and you look at um, certain commonly used Chengyu, mm-hmm. it will actually say, that in the modern context, this means this. But originally, it meant something slightly different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there are a few that are like, positive in meaning but over time they've been used in a way that they become negative hmm. and the other way around as well right the the concept of one thing i noticed when i came to to taiwan is they don't understand sarcasm right as much <laughs> as they do in western culture so you you mentioned that uh like maybe a Chengyu is supposed to be used in a positive way, but then you use it negatively just to be sarcastic. Do they get that? You certainly can be sarcastic in Chinese. I would say it's not that common. Right. But if you if there's an art to it, and if you do it correctly, I think people understand that it's being sarcastic. But you kind of really have to clarify that because it's kind of uncommon. Right. Um, and so, for example, sometimes people say something in Chinese, and then we'll add on the end, oh. I'm joking. Right, right, right. Uh, which is something we don't usually say in English. <laughs> that, takes no, away, that takes away from it, right? Right. Usually that makes the joke unfunny. But in Chinese, that's, that's perfectly okay. Um, and so sometimes you have to say that. Hmm. And if you do say that, then it's like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> like, if it's snowing outside and you're like, boy, it's hot today. People will think you're crazy. Right. But if you say, boy, it's hot today. No, I'm joking. They'll probably. <laughs> All right. Interesting. Are there any other uh, Chengyus that, that come to the top of your head that you found interesting? Um, I, I have. 
You know, I'm so my, I operate at a very high level of Chinese. Um, I did graduate school and I uh, worked in news and occasionally wrote news in Chinese. And um, I love to read the newspaper. And my favorite book is a classical Chinese text. But I still maintain a list of Chinese, just like a, a, a an early student of Chinese would with a vocabulary list, mm-hmm. because there are just so many of them that I'm not going to remember them all. And sometimes you're writing something and you think this would be a perfect place to put in a four character phrase that can very succinctly and very powerfully support my point. Uh-huh. Um, and so I have this 11 page word document where I just toss all of the Changyu that I come across in daily reading, whether or not I know it, hmm. if I think it's going to be useful in the future, I type it in there so that in the future, if I just open it, I can do, I can do control F to search hmm. and I type I mean, like, I remember there was something to do with tigers. Let me see. Let me just type in tiger. And, oh, there you go. Whoa, who's on low? Now, is this how native Chinese speakers learn as well? No. They know no, all No, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> they just know all of them? I don't think anyone knows all of them. Um, but one of the harder things about Chengyu is that the way Chengyu dictionaries are structured is they're structured by the characters involved. And so if you are looking for a Chengyu that means something, mm. like you say, I'm looking for a Chengyu that means um, um, to be arrogant. That's something that's kind of hard to say in Chinese. Um, you can't just open a dictionary and start looking by the meaning. Mm. And so the way that they work is, I guess, native speakers typically just know a lot of them mm. off off the top of their head, and you use those. But... Even though I, I operate at a high level of Chinese, I'm missing a lot of pieces that I didn't get because I didn't go through the education system. And so there are a lot of very basic phrases that everybody knows, and I'm sitting there thinking, what on earth did they just say? Hmm. Uh, but then there are a lot of really kind of more poetic or um, high-level phrases that I know and maybe some native speakers don't. Hmm. And so it's it's kind of inconsistent. Um, and you end up a lot of the time saying something that somebody doesn't understand or they say something that you don't understand and you just kind of figure it out. Right. Hmm. Okay. Uh, what are some other aspects of, of Chinese that you found fascinating? Mm, how about this one? Uh, I don't think that accent is very important in Chinese, hmm. which which is very interesting because... What you hear a lot of in English is people complain about accents. They say, oh, his accent was so heavy, I have no idea what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you have to pronounce things correctly in Chinese, just like any other language. But mm-hmm. it's not the end of the world if you don't. And the the real case for this is that you can look at the way people in Beijing speak mm-hmm. and the way someone with a very heavy Taiwanese accent, what we call Taiwan Guoyu, mm-hmm. the way that they speak. And it'll be different. So take airplane. Mm-hmm. In upper Mandarin, that would be Feiji. Okay. But someone with a heavy Taiwan accent, and I mean their native language is Taiwanese, not Mandarin, hmm. um, would say Huizi. Oh, okay. Feiji, Feiji, Huizi. You can hear that there's a difference there. The F disappears, and there's a there's an U sound added into it. Um, and... The funny thing is, though, that if you speak in a whole sentence, I mean, if you say those two characters, probably nobody will know what you're talking about. Hmm. But if you speak in a whole sentence and that accent comes out, as long as your tones are correct, people tend to understand it. Hmm. 
like, um, let me say a sentence. I'm going to take a plane to Taipei. Mm-hmm. Oh, y'all. Uh, and I'm going to do this in... <laughs> no offense here, guys. To anybody who has a Taiwanese accent, I find it very endearing. So this is not mocking at all. Okay. But I'm going to do my best impression here. Okay. In, in what we would call like standard Mandarin, that would be 我要坐飞机到台北. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a very heavy Taiwanese accent, it would be something like 我要坐飞机到台北. And so you can hear that the, the pronunciation is actually quite different, but the tones are correct, and the intonation of the sentence as a whole is the same. And so are you going to have trouble understanding it? Probably not. Hmm. But then again, try that in English. Say, I'm going to take a flight to Los Angeles, and then say that in some strange accent that nobody's ever heard before, and they'll say, what was that? <laughs> uh-huh. Have you ever tried to learn Taiwanese? Um, no. <laughs> Hasn't been a priority uh, for you. I've picked up I've picked up a bit here and there. Um one of the fantastic things about living in Taiwan is that the TV is just everything has subtitles, regardless mm. of what language it is. If it's Mandarin it has subtitles, if it's Taiwanese it has subtitles, if it's English it has subtitles. Mm. And so you can actually learn a good amount by just watching Taiwanese TV. Hmm. And reading subtitles, if if your if your reading is good, um, just read the subtitles, which you should understand if you know Mandarin. Hmm. Listen to the Taiwanese, and you think, oh, so that's how you say that in Taiwanese. Um, and so I picked up, I have a passive knowledge of a little bit, but no, you, I, I, I can maybe, if it's a simple conversation, I can probably tell you what it's about, hmm. but I have no idea what's actually being said. Hmm. It's so, it's so for different. Taiwanese, the the subtitles are always translated to mandarin there's no like phonetic subtitles so this is this is an interesting question is that a translation i would say yes but some people would say no um so grammatically structurally taiwanese and mandarin are pretty similar they're both Mm. chinese languages and so they're in the same family uh it's going to be something like translating from french to spanish Mm. grammatically it's very very similar you just uh, in French and Spanish, you'd use different words, and in Taiwanese and Mandarin, you would use the same characters. Now, there are a few things that are going to be a little bit different. Um, okay, let's take a random word here. Uh, when you say someone's pretty in Mandarin, it's usually piaoliang. Mm-hmm. But when you say that in Taiwanese, it, a really common way to say it, kind of slangy, is sui. Mm-hmm. And that's one character. It's definitely not the Taiwanese pronunciation of the words piaoliang, because it's totally different, right? You have mm-hmm. one character versus two characters. Um, and there's not that many things in Mandarin that you could say, oh, maybe it's the Taiwanese pronunciation of this character. Mm. Because I should I should mention that um, there is kind of a standard Taiwanese writing, but uh, it's it, it it kind of uh, during you know 50 years of Japanese colonialism, and then when the ROC government came to Taiwan and uh, made Mandarin the official language people stopped writing and reading in Taiwanese. And so a lot of people have forgotten how to write in Taiwanese. And even if you talk to Taiwanese people, many of them mistakenly, incorrectly will say, oh, there's no way to write in Taiwanese. Hmm. But that's not true. Because for like 400 years, the Chinese people living in Taiwan, they came over from Fujian, they spoke Taiwanese, and they wrote Chinese characters. So they were reading and writing in Taiwanese. Hmm. Definitely doable. But because of um, so many years of it not being the main language on the island... Uh, people have kind of 
made new terms that don't necessarily have a character associated with them. And one of those would be sweet. Hmm, I see. Um, and so you will see both kinds of subtitles depending on what you're watching. Hmm. If, if I say something like, that girl is really sweet, hmm. then you might see what uses a Mandarin character that's pronounced similarly, and what you often see is shui for water. Oh. They'll say, which makes no sense in Mandarin, but if you know Taiwanese, you can guess what that is. And then the other thing that you sometimes see is they'll translate that word into the appropriate Mandarin. And so it'll say, they might say in Chinese, in Taiwanese, and I don't know how to say the whole sentence, but they mm. might say, oh, that girl is very sweet. Mm. And on the bottom it would say, mm. So they would translate sweet into piaoliang. Got it. And it would be very similar going from Cantonese to Mandarin, right? Yeah, you see, you see the same thing. Um, but since very few people in Taiwan speak Cantonese, they tend to just translate that entirely. They make it entirely proper Mandarin so that you can read it with having no knowledge of Cantonese at all. Right. So, and if you were to, you know, get a DVD from Hong Kong or something with subtitles, then it might be either way. Um, yeah, it would probably be pretty different. And Cantonese does use a few characters differently than Mandarin, or it uses some characters that aren't, don't even really exist in Mandarin. Hmm. Yeah, when I, I had taken my my Taiwanese wife to Canada, to a Chinatown there, and although all the characters are in traditional, a lot of them are based on Cantonese, so she found some of the names and things quite hilarious, because you would never say something like that in Mandarin, but that's how you would in Cantonese, I guess. Yes, that that's always a, a fun thing. Um, <laughs> uh, there's also you'll you, you'll see that um, some a lot of uh, foreign place names, like in let's say cities in the United States, for example, they'll mm-hmm. translate them differently in Hong Kong and in Taiwan, and sometimes it's even different between Taiwan and China. So, what else do you find uh, interesting in when as you're learning Chinese? Um, so, as I mentioned, it's it's kind of a, sort of a cultural endeavor as much as it is a linguistic endeavor, right? Mm-hmm. And one of those aspects is that you have to know when things look the same but are different. And we usually talking about European languages, we call those false friends. Um, let me. Uh, okay, here's a random example: Spanish and English. Um, grand in English. It's obviously everyone knows what that means. Um, and then look at like grande in Spanish, right? Uh, it just means big. It doesn't mean grand. It just means big. Um, and so if you've never learned Spanish, you might see that word and think, oh, that must mean grand. But actually, it's a false friend. And um, you get some of those with Chinese. Uh, and you kind of have to know when to identify that it's actually, while it means the same thing on paper, it's actually a very different idea. Okay, what's an example of that? Um, look at stocks. When you look at stocks, you see that uh, obviously red means bad and black means good, right? If mm-hmm. the stock is in the black, oh, fantastic. Or if it's in the red, oh, you know, you should consider selling it because because it could keep going down further or whatever. I don't do with stocks, so I don't know what the best strategy is. Anyway, my point is typically that's how we identify these two colors. Mm-hmm. Well, in Chinese, it's kind of different. If uh, if you say a stock or an index or something is doing bad, let's say it's been losing money for seven months, mm-hmm. you might say something like uh, a news um, headline might say something like "lian qi hei," 
So continuous seven black. The seven implies seven months, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't know better, you would think, oh, well, that's good. But it's not good. That's actually really bad because it's the exact opposite. Black mm-hmm. means things are decreasing and red means things are increasing because red is an auspicious color in Chinese. And once you know that, it all makes sense. But mm-hmm. if you don't know that, you would think, oh, well, it's the other meaning. Mm-hmm. Okay. I noticed in general the colors are a little bit different. Like even things like tea, hong cha, is actually black tea, and right, there's, there's a little bit little same thing. I think with uh, with colors of hair and things, how they identify different colors seem a little different from English. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's all relative, uh, and I think one one thing that's always important to remember is that. Um, Often black and white in Chinese, like the, literally the words hei and bai, um, they often refer to dark and light rather than absolute black and absolute white. Right. Um, and so, so for example, brown sugar, we call it brown, but in Chinese it's hei tang. Right, there's another one, yeah. Um, and the hei there doesn't necessarily mean black sugar. Yeah. It could just mean dark sugar. And what, when you look at it from that perspective, that makes sense. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um Black tea and red tea is an interesting one because actually the opposite. Uh, it is red, and so I understand why it's called red hong cha, red tea in Chinese. We just call it black tea in English for whatever reason. Hmm. Um, and then there are colors that are considered very basic primary colors in English that I think in Chinese are not as prevalent. Uh, look at orange. When you see orange, oftentimes Taiwanese people will say, oh, that's yellow or that's red. But you don't hear orange quite as often as you do in English. Hmm. If you ask a, um, a young Taiwanese student what their favorite color is, I'd be pretty surprised if they said orange. <laughs> I would think they'd say yellow or red. Hmm. Um, and then orange is kind of considered a subset of yellow or red. Hmm. Uh, yeah. The same with brown, too, I think. Yeah, brown, I mean, it's you can say cafe, which seems like an odd name for a color. Right. Well, look at orange as well. It's the, it's exactly the same, and it's yeah. even the same in English, right? We say yeah. we call it orange because the color of oranges, or maybe we call them oranges because they're orange. I don't know. <laughs> right. But I'm pretty sure in Chinese that uh, the orange, the fruit, came first, and then based on that, they decided it was juice, the right. color orange. Um, and then another one would be like pink. Um, pink is fenhole, which is like a particle red. Mm. <laughs> is what that means right. and so clearly that's considered a subset of red whereas we in in the west would consider pink to be a distinct color that's closely related to red but not sort of underneath red if that makes sense right so if you had any advice you could give to someone uh learning chinese or maybe even learning any other language what would it be um my advice is that you just have to keep going no matter what happens, you just have to keep walking forward. A lot of people start the Chinese language journey by um, thinking, you know, I'm going to climb this mountain and get to the top. Um, that's a great goal, but you have to kind of be ready when it doesn't happen because it won't happen. Who gets to the top? Who, who actually masters a language? And so you'll climb for a bit and think you see the top and then realize that you've only hit a plateau hmm. and that you have to walk on that plateau for a long time before you start to climb again. And there are times where it feels like you're not making any more progress and you're just frustrated that you're at a higher level than the school teaches, but you're not fluent enough to do anything with it. 
And that's when you just have to get creative. Find, uh, uh, consume everything. Anytime you see a Chinese character, think about it critically. Wonder what it means, what it could mean, and how you can use it. And just kind of try and internalize all of it and make Chinese a part of your life. Hmm. So that anytime you have an opportunity to be exposed to Chinese, you are. And anytime you're exposed to it, you're curious about why exactly did that work that way. And if you stick with it for a long time, eventually things will work out. But it's 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 definitely a process for sure. Yeah, and I think Chinese is unique because of like when you're learning English and things, usually you learn the alphabet and then that's it. As far as the writing, reading part, you're done more or less. Whereas in Chinese, because of the characters, you you might find that you're progressing very well on your listening or speaking side, but then you're lacking on the reading, writing side. So then when you reach like a plateau, maybe at this point you can focus, let's just focus on characters for a little bit and then we'll come back to, to you know, speaking. Uh, you can kind of progress at different rates. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a very good analysis. And we tend to sort of, uh, at least I, the people I know have tended to um, be better at speaking and writing than listening and reading, mm. which is interesting. It's easier to express yourself than to understand what other people are saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the reason is because you, you you have a limited vocabulary. You know how to say what you want to say. But then if someone responds with a slightly different way of saying it, you're lost. Mm. And so when you do feel like you've hit that plateau, my advice is to consume. Mm. Just consume. Watch any any movie that's in Chinese. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. Mm. Listen to any radio show in Chinese. It doesn't matter if you understand it or not. You eventually, after a long period of doing this, you'll pick up more. And then that will be put into your passive knowledge bank. And the next time you hear it, you'll think, hey, I've heard that phrase before. I've read that phrase before. I think I know what it means from context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the other thing also that I find uh, useful is if there's a particular hobby or or field of interest that you have is to kind of learn the vocabulary for that so you can talk to someone about it Uh, because there'll be a lot of, you know, key terms and things that you wouldn't have learned otherwise. But now if you know those and since it's something that you're interested in anyway, then it makes it easier to have a conversation with someone about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I definitely encourage anybody who's interested in learning Chinese, just it might sound difficult to do, but drop everything and go and live in China or Taiwan and mm. experience life in Chinese because it makes a huge difference in your comprehension of the language. Hmm. Okay, great. Thank you for coming back and sharing these uh, additional insights into the Chinese language, things that you know we're not you kind of learn by doing rather than, you know, things that you find in a book. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. It is in a, it's a very involved learning process, yes. Okay, thanks again. Bye-bye. Thank you.